You are now listening to the Claim It Podcast with me, your host, Trisha Huffman, your joyologist. On this podcast, I have conversations with people who intrigue and inspire me. We get into the journey of their lives, how they got to where they are today, and how they get through the day-to-day. Because I believe that our feelings of being enough, of being worthy, of being fulfilled, of being successful, of being lovable are not out there somewhere. Once I have this, do this, be this, look like this, then I will feel it. Nope. If we keep putting it outside of ourselves, we'll keep chasing the feeling. It is up to us to claim it for ourselves every single day and sometimes every moment of the day. Claim your joy. Claim your worth. Claim your value right now. On today's episode, I have Dinosh Bennett, Sherrod Zahn. She is a professional singer, a professional dancer, and a performance coach, among other things. But we talk about her journey and making all of those things happen. Let's get right into the episode. So we met 10 years ago, pretty much almost exactly, <laughs> a couple, a little bit more. 10 years ago, we were both on tour with Colby Calais, and you right. were singing as a background vocalist. Mm-hmm. That is. And you were with Jason, right? Before that, but on that tour, yeah, I was with Colby. With us? Yeah. You were. Yeah. Yeah. And then we did like the Lilith Fair dates. Yes. With Erica Badu playing at all those dates and opening for Cheryl Crow. And you know what? And the only time that what I found out that you were, we worked for Jason, that you guys was, we did a, we did one show where he came out for lucky either to form with her or we were on a bill or something and then you like jumped in and like did your thing with him and then like i that's a, oh. that's when i that's when i found out god okay okay see all good it's all coming back to me now <laughs> but yeah i mean that was an amazing i feel like a uh, time to be out with colby though with the lilith fair dates and opening for cheryl oh my god yeah that was an amazing tour for so many reasons and so random how I even became a part of that. So I was very grateful. Well, yeah. So how did, because I remember getting to know you and um, you were like, I do remember you being like studious. <laughs> like you were always like working <laughs> on yourself and like working to be better. And then also like committed to taking care of your body and like doing these like 30 days, which, which 10 years ago now on Instagram, I see you like committed to some every day you're doing this Pilates, but I'm like, yep, that's Tanash. Like, cause I remember you back then being like finding a patch of grass while we were on this tour with all these bands and you're doing your workouts and making your greens. Like you were like, Oh, cause I remember you had that like juicer, uh, blender life. And I was completely obsessed. <laughs> I think that's how I became obsessed with you because I was like, Oh, this woman, like she's got all these potions and lotions and powders and like, you were doing your magic. You were doing your joy. And I was just like, there's a, there's a person that just does this like <laughs> all the time. Like, who are you? That's so interesting. I remember like the skeleton, but it's so nice to chat. And like, actually you were like, oh, you were doing this stuff. And I was like, I was. And then it, it jogged my memory. Yeah, I guess I've always been that person. And <laughs> I think also like being one of the only, I mean, it was you, me and Colby. Oh, and Erica. Mm-hmm. So we were like, I mean, I guess it was a small group of people, but like, you know, we were also were in different, like I was with the band, you were more with Colby. Like, so when you're just like sort of a lone female or 
underrepresented or like you're just one of, you got to make your, you have to have your schedule, your routine, like to feel safe and solid. I'm often the sole female or one of very few females on tour. Um, and so I think I've just, and I grew up as a tomboy and I grew up around like, like just lot being in that position. So I guess I've always sort of in some way, like had to really carve out space, time for myself to not be overwhelmed by all the other energy. And you know what I mean? Totally. Touring is a lot. Yeah. And then also we like, as much as we in so circles, like wasn't with her, like, you know, so I wasn't even, would have been, you know, uh, even though our shows were quite frequent, but I was sort of, it was me and the boys. It was literally me and the boys. Like, it was me and the boys. So, yeah, like all those things that I did, you know, working out and just, I guess I've always been part of, and also because I used to be a professional dancer. So I think I'm just always trying to stay. But you know, that's what I wanted to ask you about though, too. Cause I remember I met you as you were a, a singer and you told me that you had started out touring as a dancer. And I was like, whoa, like I remember back then being like, first of all, the fact that somebody worked hard enough to make it on tour as a background dancer. And you were like with Justin Timberlake, right? I don't, you probably yeah. know other people, but I remember yeah. that. So I was like, damn. And then you were like, <laughs> oh, by the way, uh, I'm going to try singing. Like, uh, you know, like I remember being like mind blown and inspired by you back then. And so that's what I wanted to like, part of what I like, why I wanted to talk to you. That's a massive compliment. Thank you. Yeah. I mean, I think that that's, like I said, I know how hard it is to do, make one thing happen. And then you're like, you made it happen and be like, okay, so now can I, uh, let me try Try singing. Well, <laughs> um, yeah, so I was always a singer. Uh, I was talking about this to someone and I was always singing and always dancing. Singing for me, I was like growing up. Yeah, growing up, I grew up in a church choir and, you know, in various little singing groups and, and church choirs. And I wasn't like the lead vocalist ever. I wasn't. I just didn't have, I felt like I didn't have that, the, the courage. Maybe I had the voice, but I wasn't as natural as some other people who were doing like the solos and everything. I was happy to be in the background and, you know, sing, play my part. And I was, I was dancing simultaneously. And so dancing sort of took hold and was the thing that people noticed, like the thing that I would show people all the time. Singing was very close to my heart, uh, very precious. And maybe because I wasn't as good as I wanted to be, uh, whatever that means, I guess I was probably good enough, but you know, you have your own reservations sometimes about your gifts. And so I would mostly sing in church choirs and groups and sort of be hidden with dancing. That was like, I put that out there. Like I would shuffle ball change, do splits, do leaps, turns, all these kinds of things. And that was like my most natural kind of form of expression. So that took hold. I went to school and nurtured that. You went to school to be a dancer? I went, well, I went to performing arts high school. So like my whole dream was like to do fame at some point in my life. I didn't know where I was going to find that. And where did you grow up? I was born and raised in Toronto. Yeah. And so all my, I I left Toronto when I was 20, I think 20, 20 years old, but I went to performing arts high school. So there, that's where I really nurtured my talent for dancing. And I was still singing just in the background, like just you know, just really quietly singing at home, singing in a little group. Again, never, but my, my dream was to be a recording artist, was to be like Janet Jackson and Whitney Houston all wrapped into one. That was my dream. So I didn't really have a path or it wasn't something that anyone really helped me nurture because again, the two things were very separate. And eventually, um, 
you know, I think through showing my talents, people just recognized that I had a passion. I had a lot of great people sort of open up little doors for me along the way. But it wasn't, I didn't have like the ultra supportive parents that were like, we're going to put her in this and put her in that. My journey was very much like I had to figure out and find it, find it. And growing up in Toronto, there's a, there were, at that time, there were a lot of opportunities for live performance. And so I went from being in like a girl group. Yes, I was in a girl group at one point because it was, it reminded me of, you know, being in the church singing group. Like you would have harmonies and everyone would step out every now and then. But um, someone, a producer recognized me and he was like, I think you should go solo. And I was like, great, because that's my dream. <laughs> And I worked with him and I did some stuff locally in the Toronto scene, forming at, you know, all the like open mics and, and things like that and started to gain some traction as a singer. Fast forward, when I wanted to go professional, I tried to move to years and it wasn't really happening. Opportunities, people were inviting music videos and things like that, but it, was, it just wouldn't, it was either like, the issue of, oh, you're Canadian or the issue or, or just being typecast, like, you know, auditioning for artists that I was too, I was taller than, or people not giving me credit because I was Canadian, like didn't think, Hey, they didn't think there were black people in Canada. So people just weren't actually giving me opportunities just based on the fact that they thought, well, you're Canadian, like you can't have flavor. You can't have soul. Um, and yeah. Interesting. So like, yeah, I don't know. I guess I can kind of, I mean, I think that I've known some sort of people like, oh, were well, they're Canadian. Like, I think I have noticed some of that in the music industry, but it is still like, that's so ridiculous. Like, why does it even matter? Like, where you came from? Like, you're talented, you're talented. Like, <laughs> I think the culture in New York City in particular, because that's where I was going. I mean, it's just so it's, strong culture. I mean, it's the culture I grew up watching, wanting to be a part of, you know, the music, the dance, the clothing, the fashion, like all of it. I was just like, I want to be American. It's so strong. And I identified, I, I, I identified with it quite a bit. And so I think they're just, you know, no disrespect because I love, you know, America, the United States is my adopted country for half my life. Just a little self-absorbed and not really like just in the way that like there's so much going on there and it is quite diverse. But you just don't really need to look outside of the border. Like you don't, you just don't really. And so when you have these aliens, because technically that's what I am, according to my visa, I'm an alien of extraordinary ability. You're like, oh, wait, what? Oh, I didn't know y'all did this. And eventually, I mean, now it's just it's nothing. It's like now Toronto is so on the map for talent in so many ways. Um, but at that time it was, it was something that I had to deal with. And so my actual entry into the industry was just going to a cattle call audition uh, where there were hundreds of girls. And I really just went to go and be in the same room as the choreographer who was Debbie Allen. Oh, wow. Yeah. And I was just like, what? Huh? Oh my God. I just want to be like, even if she kicked me out, that would be like an honor to be kicked out of a room by her. Like I just need to be in her presence. Because this is a woman that I admired, her career so much. Again, reference to fame. Like, I wanted to be one of those kids. And she was the choreographer for Mariah Carey. And similarly, I had this idea that, like, that they would typecast me because I'd been typecast before. They would probably want tall, mixed race girls 
who kind of looked like Mariah, which is actually the complete opposite. But because I had been typecast on several jobs trying to get into New York before, I just thought, well, this is this is how it goes. So I went there with no expectations and just really hungry to really meet Debbie and also to make a good impression. And I've been technically trained and sort of formally trained in high school and in uh, other schools in, in Toronto. So I knew how to dance. And that's what got me the job. And I was my first gig, getting the gig over hundreds of girls who were already in the industry, like did all the music videos, did all the gigs. And me and another, and uh, I think it was maybe another seven girls who were the unknowns. Like we weren't those, those industry chicks booked our first tour, well, booked that tour with Mariah. And that was back in 97. Oh, so that was, that audition was for Mariah Carey tour. Yeah, that was for her Butterfly World Tour. Wow. And it was like a low-key dream because I was obsessed with that album and I knew all of the parts and I knew all of, well, I thought I knew all the runs. I knew what they sounded like. I couldn't do them all, but (laughs) I was just obsessed. I was a big Mariah fan. And that, that was my first tour. And it was just, it was such a baptism into the industry. Um, it's how I forgot my first visa. It was just so many things. It's the first time I traveled to Asia. And, you know, and I had left a sort of a singing career in Toronto, but my dream was always to be in New York and dance and like go to Broadway. And that was part of a big dream too. So I kind of put singing a little bit on the back burner and was like, I made it, you know, like big city, big apple, sort of the typical dream. This young 20-year-old girl got on a bus from Toronto. And yeah, and getting hired, yeah, getting picked by Debbie Allen and then going on tour with someone whose music you're obsessed with and most of the rest of the world is as well. I can't imagine that feeling. And you know what? It's like, I never, we could talk forever. And then I I always try to, to get to the point I love as well with you to talk, to share stories, but i never want people to think that, oh, it just happened. Yeah. That's what I wanted to get. I was about to go back. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Because I went to performing arts high school and I did three years there after my third year, uh, I got kicked out. Me and the head of the dance department did not agree. I mean, I was a little know-it-all anyway, but she did, she shouldn't have kicked me out. She was dead wrong. But she basically gave me a failing grade, which on the grade level is not a failing grade, but it's like a D minus or something. An arts major, you can't get a D, like that's a fail. So I went to a a regular high school where dance and music did not exist and struggled for a year. I had to drop chemistry. I dropped math and I had to take French twice because I was like, I can, like I was good at French, but I, I just was depressed. I didn't want to go to school. So I like, Dropped out of French the first semester, picked it up again so second semester so that I could get a good grade. It's a bad year for me. And then my final year of high school, I just said, screw it. I'm going to put my head down. I'm going to be the biggest geek and I'm going to graduate as a scholar. Two of my best friends who I left at that other school had went, had graduated and went to New York, to Alvin Ailey, which was another dream of mine. We, my parents couldn't afford that. So I had to stay in Toronto and figure it out. So I went to school for journalism. I didn't even apply to school as a dancer or anything like that. I went to school for journalism and was trying to figure out like how I was going to stay connected to my art. And as I said, Toronto has a really great industry to nurture talent. And I was very lucky to dig into that. But during my first two years in, in, in uni, um, studying journalism, I was traveling back and forth to New York. And this was these years of like, 
getting a call. Hey, come down. We're basically going to put you in this video. You just need to come to the audition. And even with the cosign of the director, the, the, it was like, no, you're too tall. No, you're too dark. We have enough dark skinned girls already. And having to take the bus all the way back to Toronto. Like this was the year, two years of kind of having, getting rejected. And so I would go back to Toronto. And constantly feeling like this is, oh, I'm like, I'm yeah. making progress or I'm there. And then, ugh. Yeah. It's not know. like, it's not just going, getting up and then like going to the dance studio, like going to the edge or going to Millennium or going to Broadway Dance Center. Like I got on a bus, went across the border to another country, thinking the job was mine, getting rejected and literally having to spin around and come back home and teach dance class. Yeah. So like every, I imagine every time being like pumped, okay, this is it. Like you're like wanting to be excited in this. Yeah. And then again. And you, it happens once and then you think, okay, now this is, no, it can't happen again. And it happened three times. And I pretty much gave up at the same time. I was auditioning in Toronto for some musicals and doing some things and just trying to figure out, I was like, oh God, do I have to stay in Toronto? Like I kind of hit a ceiling there. And then just going to New York because I went to visit my boyfriend for his birthday. And then my friend there said, Mariah's having an audition. I was just like, she don't want me. And then he said, Debbie Allen. I was like, okay, but I'll just go to see, I'll go just, and going, thinking I was going to get rejected. Like that was my thought. But I still had the character. I still had the discipline to like, at least do the best audition that I could. And then I think that whole story, like, I think when you, kind of do goes through things like that and you persevere and you get up and you dust yourself off and you try again and you ask for the bus fare to go to the to like you do all the things to continue to try i think that at some point god the universe says okay i see you you know or it 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 forms pathways in your brain that just go okay i'm gonna try one more time because you still really want it and i still really wanted it and i wasn't I didn't have the most flexibility. Uh, I'm a good dancer. I was a great dancer. And I don't know what the combination was, but I was chosen out of hundreds of girls. And after two years of trying again, like going to the border and asking the, literally asking at the border, how do you get a social security number? Like just asking random questions because there was no Google then. (laughs) Trying to figure out how to live my dream. uh, I finally had an opportunity. And, And then it was, show up audition and then I got it and then I was like yeah but I'm Canadian and she was like that's okay we got people for that and that was it (laughs) and so during this whole time too what was your family and like your support system you know because I you mentioned earlier on like they weren't the type that was like putting you in all the sorts of things but I were they supporting you were they just sort of like appeasing you were they trying to be like maybe give it up and like talk you out of like just stick with the journalism path like what was that also because it's like it's one thing it's a lot of fucking work to believe in yourself it's so like it's a lot of work to believe in yourself yeah like still me today yeah (laughs) and like and I've made lots of things happen but it's like every day and then when you have these outsiders that it's like Outsiders meaning like the people that love you so much mm-hmm. that they mean well, but they often are coming from a place of they love you. So they want to protect you. They don't want you to get hurt again. They don't want you to fail. They can't see as big as th- for themselves in their life. Yeah. So they can't even understand what you're seeing for yourself. So it's not like they don't support you, but yeah. it can very much show up as they don't support you. So what was that like <laughs> right. with your family? <laughs> I'm sure there was probably a bit of chatter in their heads, 
I was actually really lucky because I was in Toronto doing things that they never thought was possible. Like I was on TV and I was, you know, right after, while I was going to university, I was the dance captain for uh, the Toronto Raptors Basketball Association. So like I was doing things on a level that people in my family hadn't really achieved. These seemed like big things. I recorded a song and it was on the radio and I had a music video that was playing on TV. So they kind of saw like, oh, anything she does, she pretty much makes it happen. And at the time, my then boyfriend was in New York and he he hadn't quite gotten to like gotten gotten on, you know, but he was trying. And so and he had the co-sign of another very reputable music video director at the time. So I guess they believed I was in good hands. Like I wouldn't just pick up and go to New York willy nilly with no. Um, so they saw the saw some of the fruits of my labor and they actually I was very independent from a very young age. So they kind of didn't just they just kind of was like, OK, that's Tanasha doing her thing. And I'll never forget when I called them after I got the audition, like my whole family was screaming and passing the phone around and they was called like I could I was in complete shock. And my, my mom wasn't very supportive. Like she's grew up Christian. She was like, you shouldn't be dancing. My dad was very supportive financially when he could be. And I was very lucky that a lot of people believed in me. So I was a, like, people opened doors. Like I got scholarships or people would be like, come on, girl, just, just show up and just, we'll, we'll sort it out. Don't worry about it. Um, and I think people really recognized my drive and my talent as well. And, and I was very lucky that they wanted to support me. So I think in all, you know, they probably were worried, but once I had that, again, that concrete evidence of, oh, she's actually really doing this and she's really good. They just trusted that I, you know, but then again, I didn't, I couldn't get my visa for two for while I was working in the U S like while we were rehearsing, I couldn't get my visa until we actually left and went to Japan because that's the rules. So I had no money. <laughs> so I remember my dad, my brother, my mom put together and sent me like $500. I was like, I got you. Don't worry. I'm gonna get you back you know, to support me. So I, I was very lucky while they couldn't, you know, pay for things and they couldn't show up at a lot of things. Um, they trusted me. So I'm very grateful for that. But meanwhile, there was a lot of people in my network that were like, oh, she's crazy. <laughs> right. That people, other people that were in like perform music world, dance world in Toronto. She's not going to make it. She doesn't have... Yeah that you know she keeps getting on the bus right exactly (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) and so what yeah like that how did you keep showing up it was just because you knew this is what I want to do like I can see this for myself if it was today definitely probably would have given up it's harder when you get older and you have bills and you have life and you have knowledge but I also think that I'm sure you would agree that that gets in our way that head game gets real crazy and yeah at 19 20 you just couldn't tell me nothing like I was literally bright-eyed and bushy-tailed and resilient and like literally did not take no for an answer I I don't know why I just felt like I had the ability and I had the talent and I didn't see any difference between me and what was happening there that I couldn't if you just gave me a chance but it was hard I mean to cry all the way home on a 12, 11 hour bus ride. When I brought three of my friends, dancer friends from Toronto to New York, I was like, girls, yo, this is it. Blah, 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 blah. We're going to get our breakthrough. They all booked the gig and I had to go home. That shit was oh. hard. Yeah, it was heartbreaking. And years later, 
when I reconnected with this choreographer, he's like, I remember you. He said, you know what it was? He's like, no, you killed that audition. He said, but we had, there was about four or five dancers in New York. Like these were the video girls that were the girls and they were the names. They were known. They, they were in, I wasn't. So they were just like, we just couldn't hire one more dark skin girl. Like, what does that do? Um, <laughs> so even having to deal with that, like, I didn't get that resolve until years later. And I didn't walk around going, oh, I was, I mean, part of me was like, yeah, I was too dark. I'm just like, but I was good. I was good. But I learned the business and learned all those things of how you got to make it diverse or how you only need this for this artist, that for, and that's unfortunately part of the game, which is, which is crap. But I had a strong belief in myself and my talent. And I don't know, I just, I guess I just wanted it so badly that I just couldn't stop. I couldn't stop. And then once you did book that major first tour and then like, what was that experience for like emotionally of like, I did it. See, I believe in myself, but then also, okay, this is a whole new world, new ballgame. Yeah, I mean, you like it feels like a sigh of relief because you finally broke through that ceiling, you know, that whole trying to leave, not just breaking into the industry again. It's you're leaving home, you're leaving all the comforts of home, you're leaving, you know, security, and you're away from your your safe zone. And so I'm like, okay. Yeah, and you're just like thrown in a new family with people that you don't know. (laughs) That's like, yeah, it's like you're in this bubble of people now that you're with every single day. And even some of these people had known each other through just either class or whatever. So I was really the outsider. So yeah, there was a huge sigh of relief. Like I made it, but then this enormous pressure to be like, okay, you better step up because you just took this job from all these other girls. People are looking at you. It's not some brand new just got signed artist doing promo. This is Mariah Carey. This is Debbie Allen. So it wasn't like some small gig. Like I had to really step up and be incredible because they were incredible. And working with dancers who had been, you know, paving the way in so many ways for me, I had to be respectful, but I just, I'm a workaholic and I just put my head down and was like, what do I got to do? I'm here for it. I signed up for everything that I needed to sign up for. And it ended up being a great experience. Unfortunately, you know, it was like I had my cherry pop with a really big gig. And then after that, like it was quiet and I didn't work for a while. And that was really when the lessons came in. But it was like learning, learning a whole new way of life, how to tour, saving money, how to get along with people, how to deal with people when you just can't stand them or, you know, that, you know, when you're on tour, what that tour life is. And it is real life. It's not real life for everybody. It is a part of, it is a version of real life because that is reality when you're on tour living with a bunch of strangers. And so, but I learned so much and I was never really fearful. I think getting that gig instilled a lot of confidence in me, but not overconfident because I'm, I still to this day, I'm a forever student. So I always want to learn. I always want to be better. I always want to grow. And that was, yeah, that was, that was the beginning of the next half of my life, really. So, okay. So then after that tour, there was, it wasn't like you got off the tour and everything, everybody's calling. It's then. No. What was great about that tour is that it opened up doors because they were like, who are these, who's the, who are the Mariah girls? You know, like who are these girls that are on tour? 
and you know who are these girls that got the gig and also those the boys who were like the main dancers on the gig were very much open to like you know putting us on to like other gigs that they would get so they'd be like oh hey you know so it was kind of a networking opportunity because i was able to get some gigs after that unfortunately mariah the tour wasn't very long and then she had some other gigs after that but myself and one of the other dancers were basically let go <laughs> after that tour and replaced and that was really hard because you know you sign on for a tour you think are we going to rock we're going to rock around the world and that's not what happened <laughs> so after that it was just like some music videos for some new artists it was a lot of silence it was a lot of taking class it was like okay cool i know these dancers but i need to know other dancers and other choreographers and it was just a real learning experience of what it was like to be a kind of a starving artist working dancer in new york city and having sort of had at this time too then are you just fully focused on dance cuz that's what had like taken off were you still like working on singing or like going out and doing open mics and stuff in new york or were you just like dance 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 so no i actually didn't do any open mics i was more i was mostly I was dancing sort of like in the studio. So I was training because I was like, okay, you know, when you're not gigging, you need to be training. And I might meet dancers that way. I might meet choreographers that way, dance teachers doing jobs. As well, I was working with producers. So just through different friends, through my ex-boyfriend at the time, my boyfriend at the time, you know, just knew like somebody was making beats and you just, you know, say, hey, to me, I'm singing, I'm a singer. And you know, everybody was at that time had a little home studio. So I was really just recording music, trying to find producers to create this demo that at some point I would like, I don't know who I was going to give it to you, but. So you were still like actively pursuing dance, but yeah, still putting yourself out there. Yeah, still honing because again, that was the dream and I needed something to get me to America. I was just like, this is where the music industry is, this is where the producers are, this is where everything happens. So I was still recording still, uh, yeah, just still doing demos and just meeting different producers here and there. And actually, even the background singers on Mariah's tour knew that I sang. And uh, they were all very, very supportive of me. And so, but the, yeah, the next couple of years was I didn't really have any opportunities to perform. It was just demos and writing and working on music and working on music. And it wasn't until actually the following year, 98, where I went on a tour, I got I met a choreographer who hired me for a tour, and we were in we were in New Jersey or something rehearsing, and one of the record execs, he I don't I don't know if he was from Toronto originally and lived in L.A. He basically recognized me and and said to the artist, he's like, "Is that Dinosh?" And they're like, "Yeah, how do you know her?" I'm like, well, "She's an artist in Toronto. Like, what is she doing here?" <laughs> and that sort of came on the radar uh one of the musical director who's also a producer heard that and then like in a later conversation him and I were talking about music and yeah and he said he wanted to hear some stuff and so that opened up another door of like a producer that I could work with and so little things like that just it's sort of word of mouth talking about it sort of speaking about it and, you know, bit by bit, again, recording a new demo, <laughs> like all of this time, I'm still, I'm dancing as a profession, 
but I'm a closet artist <laughs> working on this, this craft. And eventually I land a gig where through the same choreographer where I'm dancing for her. And then I get an opportunity. We're on, we're sitting on a tour bus as we do acting a fool, you know how it goes. And, um, we're singing Stevie wonder. And so I start singing cause he's one of my favorite artists and the artist that I'm working for hears me. And this is Faith Evans. And she's like, girl, mm-hmm. I hear you. Faith Evans. Yeah. She's like, girl, I hear you. And I was like, uh, you know, whatever. A couple of days later, she asks me for a demo, which I had because I'd been in, <laughs> I'd been on the low recording demos. I actually had something to present to her. And after hearing it, she's very impressed. She basically invites me to sing for her. So I went from being her background dancer to singing for her. And that was an opportunity that I really wanted. In all of this dancing, me trying to present myself as a singer, nobody's taking me seriously. They're like, no, you dance. That's what you do. Stay in your lane. And no one would take me seriously, give me opportunity. And I always give credit to Faith Evans for giving me a chance. And so I went from singing background, dancing background to her, for her, to singing background for her. And that was my first background singing gig. And that really opened up the door for the industry to know that I was a singer. Amazing. Why did I have, why did I think it was Justin? Did you do the same thing with Justin Timberlake dance for him and then start singing? Or why did I, I don't know why. Well, no, I I never danced for Justin. I did like one thing for Justin. It was like a one-off where I danced, but uh, no, I've always been his back. I was always his background singer when I worked for him, but I did get that gig because of the musical director, Kevin Antunes, who worked for Justin, saw the Faith concert in Orlando. He was there to see Usher. And he, he remembers us from stage. And when I remember talking to him on the phone, thinking I had to like sing on the phone for the audition or like send him a demo, which I had because I'd been recording. <laughs> uh, he was like, no. He's like, that's cool. Oh, yeah. No, I remember y'all. You girls smashed it. I remember seeing that show. No, that's cool. So uh, can you I'm going to have management send you the details. And but again, another situation. I skipped a lot, but another situation where there were so many knows so much rejection, so much people not giving me credit or validation. And then finally, an opportunity where I got, I, I was given grace. I was given, someone listened. Someone was like, no, this is what we need and you're it. And that's how I, I, I started singing with Justin. It was, a friend of mine was actually offered the gig. She said no, because she was married. She just got married. And I, for years after Faith and in between Faith, I'd been talking to all my singer friends and all these people like if you know of anything or this one I'm really putting it out there because I realize no one's going to take me seriously as a dancer if I'm still dancing no one can even see it's just like me talking no one's going to take you seriously as a singer as a singer sorry yes if they continuously see me dancing if I don't I can't show them anything they don't see me on stage a demo is not enough like you have to actually see me doing it and so faith really gave me that opportunity Little did I know Kevin Antunes was in that Orlando audience where I could then reference back or that he referenced back to that. And I didn't even have to send a demo or sing for him. He was like, yeah, no, y'all are dope. Cool. You came recommended through someone. So I trust you. <laughs> I was like, what? So was that the last time that you worked as a background dancer then for Faith Evans? Or did you do? Yeah, after that tour, So I did the whole promo tour as a dancer. I did her main tour as a singer. And then after that tour, uh, I went and did Broadway or I did like the basic six month contract. I did Hairspray. 
Oh. Yeah. And then after my six months was done, right before that was done, the opportunity came up to do Justin. And I was like, I can't, I'm doing this show. And I'd actually already turned it down once. I was like, I can't, I can't, I can't. And then, but I really wanted to get out of New York. I really wanted to do Justin Timberlake. I was like, I felt like it was a one step closer to realizing my dreams of being a, a professional singer, recording artist. And so that path led me to, or it, simultaneously, my friend was being offered this gig. She decided to turn it down and she remembered me like begging her and asking her for opportunities. And if you know of an audition, let me know. And she was like, I know just the person. She's like, I can't do, but I know, I think I have the perfect person. She's young. She can dance. She's great energy. Like we're very similar. And so she just put in a word and I got a call and that was how it happened. <laughs> like it was that, you know, and it's, it's crazy because I'm a big fan of my process. I feel, I believe in hard work. I believe in doing the work, but I also feel like people should have doors open to, I think when you've worked really hard, sometimes you meet somebody just just put their hand, put their hand on your shoulder and go, I got you because the industry is so crowded. It's so flooded. It's so jaded. And sometimes even more than not, those opportunities are not really available. There's not a lot of auditions. There's not a lot of, you know, for me, it was a secret club that I couldn't get into for years. And how do you break in? You know, if you don't have, kind people that will just say, I see you, I got you, you know? So I'm very grateful for my process. It's been one that has been schlep, 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 work your ass off, deal with some rejection, um, <laughs> cry a little bit, dust yourself off, get back up, go back into training, and then, you know, speak out, speak aloud what you want. Let people know what you want. Because people aren't going to just come find you in that little corner. Like, they will not. There's no way. And it's hard to get that courage sometimes, but you have to speak it. You have to. Because no one will know. I was mm -hmm. bugging the musical director for Mary J. Blige for years. He finally called me for a gig, and I was already on another gig. But I was like, don't forget me. You know, it's like, you've got to put it out there. And then the doors will open. They will open. You know, it might not be the one you've been banging on, but you, the doors will open. and. There's no one way to get it, but I'm grateful for my process because it's taught me a lot. I'd never had anything handed to me on a silver platter, you know, walking into Debbie Allen's dance studio or sitting at home feeling like I wanted to get out of New York and then getting that call from that musical director and him telling me I didn't have to audition after going to so many open calls, after trying to submit my demo so many times and being looked over because I wasn't the strongest singer or nobody knew me. To finally just get someone to say, yeah, I saw your show. You were great. So rehearsal starts this day and that, you know, it feels like someone's listening, you know? Psst, Trisha here, bringing you a brief interruption. You guys know I sell a full line of products, right? With my phrases on them. The newest things in the shop are insulated stainless steel water bottles. They have a twist on lid, but a flip up straw. So you like drink out of the straw. They keep drinks cold for an entire day. They can also even handle hot drinks. I've got them in some really fun colors. These are a limited release, guys. So if you want one at all, make sure you go to shop.yourgeologist.com. 
They're super high quality. The phrase is laser engraved into the design, so it will never come off. Like, who doesn't need a water bottle to take everywhere? They will last for years and years. Go grab yourself one shop.yourjewelogist.com. See the good is a current favorite phrase. You know, I got one with all the affirmations. I've got one that says, the only judge of you is you. Gratitude is my attitude. Go check them out and grab yourself some other goodies. Perfect gifts also, if I do say so myself. Get some goodies to send out to the people that you love and that you're thinking of. All right, let's get back to the podcast. Definitely the, the speaking out loud thing. I mean, I used to be someone that was like, I was afraid to tell people what I wanted to do because I felt like that would be like a curse, right? Like if I talk about these ideas that I have that even I'm like, is this possible? Like how dare I think this up? Then I don't want any people to know like if it fails or this. So I, you know, like I used to want to keep everything a secret until it happened. Mm -hmm. And now I'm totally the opposite in that. Yeah. Like you have to, even like right now I'm working my first book and it was like so scary to be like, Oh, I'm writing my book. But the more I started saying that, then friends of mine, oh, do you have a, let me introduce you to my book agent. Oh, this is what it was like when I wrote my, like, you know, it's like, it's so scary to speak. It's so scary to speak what you want out into the world, Mm -hmm. but doors open people like the, you have conversations, you have these, when you have, you're planting seeds for people that you don't know when will come back to be like, oh, wait, yeah, Dinah, she sings or what? Yeah. Like, oh, and just, you just never know. Yeah. And a lot of those people who hear you aren't the people that are just around you. You know, we're afraid of, we're kind of, sometimes we're afraid of those, that circle that's right around us. You know, the family that wants to protect us or the naysayers and the haters who don't want to see you progress past them. Um, Mm -hmm. But sometimes, you know, if you, if you're just out, like I would just speak it, be out, not around those friends and be like, oh yeah, this is what I do. I'm a singer and blah, blah, blah. And you'd be surprised how some random person is like, oh, really? Actually, because there's no preconceived, there's no judgment. I was just about to say the same thing. They don't have any yeah. preconceived notion of yeah. who they think you are, what lane you need to stay in. And what you, what they think you deserve yeah. or where you should be. Exactly. And I know, I know hands down that that is a big reason why I was able to take advantage of certain opportunities. Not all. And the other thing is, What's mine is mine. I'm really never like there was this thing going on in the dance industry, which probably still happens now, and probably in the singing industry, where if you get a gig or an audition, like you don't tell anybody because you basically tell someone that's that's you're giving you could possibly be giving your spot away. And I was fortunate to have dancers who dragged me to their auditions, like, girl, come on. Like really beautiful people in my life that supported me and was like, You're good, you need to do this gig with me or let's both go get this money. And so how dare I not be the same with others? But I also really feel like I'm happy to bless other people. If it's not for me, it's not for me. Yeah. And when you deal with a lot of rejection, eventually you learn, well, you learn two things. You either have to take a hard look at yourself and go, okay, why does this keep happening? Do I actually need to improve my skill set? Do I need to, is there something tangible or physical that I can actually work on? Did I prep my audition properly? Like, if you can say yes to all those things, then the gig just wasn't for you, or they're just not what you're looking. What they, you're just not what they were looking for, and that actually is okay because in the industry they do look for certain types in certain genres, not everywhere, but like 
when you're auditioning for a play or for an artist, like there are certain slots they want to fill, whether it's physical or vocal, a sound or a look. And so if you just, like, I'm just not blonde and blue eyed, if that's really what you're looking for, then I could sing the house down, but it's not going to matter, you know? And so there were a lot of times where I knew I did my best. I know I had outdanced people. And eventually I had to sit with that and go, I'm good. I did my work. That's their problem or their loss or whatever. And when you do that enough or when you go through that enough, for me, the result was knowing that not everything's for me. Now, it's not every situation was like that. Sometimes I just felt cheated out of a gig and like that was some BS. But the majority of the time I was able to rationalize like, it's not you. You're great. You're good at what you do. Maybe you'll get them next time and move on with that. And that allowed me to be open with sharing opportunities with other people, you know, knowing that I was that person at one point, knowing that like, I don't know what you're going through. You really need this gig. And it just opening the door at the end of the day, they can't take the gig from you. It's up to you to show up and do your best. And then the other person's going to decide, you know, so it's been a lot of learning. <laughs> um, yeah. And maybe, maybe I can have that perspective now because I have been successful and it's been balanced. Like I've had a lot of successes and a lot of really great gigs and worked with so many people that, that number is bigger than the rejection. Actually, I can't even say that. I'm like, yeah, probably if you look back, it <laughs> that's a straight lie. But the wins, <laughs> the wins have been so massive that like, I can't even think about, you know, They've, they've been so big, like three rejections for mute. Okay. So three rejections for music videos for artists that, I mean, I don't even know if they're out right now <laughs> versus Debbie Allen and Mariah Carey world tour. I'm okay. You know, like, yeah. I'm okay with that. And so you got to take those successes and you got to count them and you got to put them in your like, yay, I'm, I'm, I'm I can do this pile. Like you got to really lean on those experiences because they really help balance out the negative ones and the negative self-talk and the, the beat down because the world's ready to beat you down and kick you out. So you've got to find everything you can to build yourself up and to be able to stay the course and to keep going. Yeah. Yeah. I love so many things you said. And then, yeah, like uh, one of my I call bullshit videos was I call bullshit on there not being enough space for you. Mm. And, you know, I think that can apply in something like you're as, as a singer or and even as a dancer but like for real you're going to an audition or something where it's like no we're only gonna have like maybe there'll be four like singers especially there's more dancers singers maybe four like yeah. maybe three maybe two maybe one like there's really like there's not enough space like <laughs> you know yes. it's like that is an actual like these many people are coming to audition but at the same time where so I like I can see where yes yeah, and people are like oh my god I can't tell anybody else about the us audition or especially oh yeah she's whatever I can't tell people that look like me about that audition because then I'm taking my out of that that spot like whatever and so like I can see where that could show up but then like you're like living from a place of fear and lack more so when you're leaning into those spaces that I think that that energy resonates and I'm not saying that any of those people didn't get hired to get the jobs they probably right. did but it's just also like it's really like not serving you and even like in my own like field or whatever it's like oh I think there could have been times where I held back. Oh, I don't want to share like this person's video or this coach, whatever. Cause then what if my, people leave me and go follow them or whatever. And it's just like, that's bullshit. There's space for all of us. Yeah. And that like, you know, it feels good to create space for more people and for more people to step into what it is that's like makes them passionate. So like for people that, yeah, brought you along on the auditions and that you bringing those people along, like it 
Even if you you get you brought people on auditions and they got hired and you didn't. But at the same time, <laughs> yeah, yeah. But at the same time, I'm sure it feels good. Yeah, I mean, imagine walking around with that. Oh, I'm not going to tell, and like, I would feel like paranoid, and I would be, I would, I would have turned into a horrible. Like, I would have just been, I don't know, shady and and full of anxiety, and like, I can't even imagine like changing who I naturally am. Like that's who I, I'm naturally that person who likes to share. I like friends. I like, I didn't want to go to New York by myself. I was like, come on, let's all get out of Toronto. Let's all go get this, this glory and go get this money and go do this P Diddy gig. And let's skip across the stage and wear blue wigs. And like, let's all get it. Like, why not? You know, I think it really would have just changed who I am and, you know, being open. Like, and then I like you, that you talked about like there's space for everyone. I gained so much from that. Not like, not just the gig, you know, all those other things that if you stay closed off, like you don't learn, you don't grow. And like, you know, speaking to the whole idea of, of, of coaching or whatever, you know, now I'm in this space where I'm, I'm, I'm coaching and I have a very similar, it's the same thing. I mean, okay, I'm stepping into this space that's very crowded. I, what I do is, is a little more specific, but I mean, still you run the risk of, you know, okay, like I'm not going to tell this person or let me not bring this person in because I don't want them to know what I'm doing and being so secretive about your stuff. And I'm just like, look, if I can't help you, I want you to get the help you need. Like I'm not, you know, why would I stop caring about you if you no longer need me or if you've outgrown me or if you find something better, then I wasn't invested in you in the beginning to begin with. I'm not invested in your actual emotional well being or your how you perform or how you do your thing. I'm just trying to get a check. No, like I'm just, I'm just not like that. And I'm grateful Same. that I was able to adopt that, that mentality a long time ago, because it definitely would have changed how I run my business. And again, I just feel like I probably wouldn't, you know, I really believe what's for you is for you. I can understand the idea of being a bit guarded and protective because let's say you do have a lot of naysayers around you. So in order to close those doors of negative chatter and people like talking crap about you or you're not going to do that. No. Oh yeah. Well, like you don't even want to entertain that because you might already be dealing with so much doubt. So a lot of times when I was dipping across the border, nobody knew my mom, my dad, my brother, sister, nobody knew, nobody knew where I was mm. <laughs> until I came back. Or even when I came back, they didn't know I'd been gone. I just, you know, I didn't because at that time, people were were hating and were not trying to support. So I was like, all right, well, I'm going to just move in silence. And then after that, it was like, I got the gig. I'm waving the flag. And everybody was on board most for the most part. But I understand that protective space. And, you know, neither is good in, or bad. It's just, yeah, how you handle that for yourself. No, totally. I get it. And you know, like I said, yeah, like the believing yourself is hard. And then when you have these people that are constantly like planting these seeds, even if they think it's well-meaning, if it keeps making triggering your own doubts and fears then like yeah you can keep it for yourself in that way and then also going back to the like yeah not telling the people about auditions or whatever it's that 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 really like that's you know you're living in a place of lack and fear and you're also then not believing in yourself because you're like oh I can't tell this person Precisely. because then you're like basically saying oh because then they might get it because I'm not gonna live and like yeah they might get it and it's not about you like yeah and that same thing with coaches and being that like people's voices like I always look at it as myself. Like I might really love what people say and I look up to them, but at the same time, I resonate more with this person, the way they say it. You know, like we resonate with how people say things or teach things and share things differently. And that doesn't mean 
that that person is any less than. It's just, exactly. oh, they really get through with me. Like I get through with people when I'm like, I call bullshit. Some people are like, don't talk to me like that. Yeah. Like I get it. Like, like, yeah, exactly. There's something for everybody. And I just, we can't be so precious about it. I mean, I even have a friend who I guess is still a friend, but whatever. And this person has drained me for information and, and just, um, not drain, but you know, oh, let's get coffee and I'm going to pick your brain and I'm an open book. I really am. So again, I'm like, sure, I'll tell you what I did and I'll tell you blah, blah, blah and go live your life. And then I saw this person go and like pretty much regurgitate. And I'm not gonna lie, I felt some type of way. But at the same time, I was like, you're not me. And if you felt that you had to come to me, like you couldn't create this on your own, or you had to, the thing is, is you try to do it in a way that was not transparent. That's what I can't respect. It's not like you came to me and said, hey, I really don't know how to crack this. Um, I love some ideas. And, you know, I was like, okay, cool. Well, this is how I went about it, blah, blah, blah. I would suggest you do these things. I just expected that person to do it in their own way. And they literally just regurgitated it. And I was like, cool. Okay. So I did feel some type of way for a minute. And then after I let it go, I was like, good luck. I wish you well. I'm not the exclusive uh, voice of, of what I do or the resource. And there's plenty of room for everybody. And if this is how you want to get on and handle your business, that speaks to your character and have a nice life. <laughs> but Yeah, I've definitely seen people like that too, that, and they may not realize that what they're doing is wrong and not that that mm -hmm. makes it right. But like, yeah, they just take everybody else's stuff and regurgitate. And it's what you know is that it's not going to be like lasting because if they're not actually like teaching from a real place and sharing from their place and they're just constantly regurgitating other people's stuff, then they actually don't fully understand it. Exactly. Also as well either. So it's not going to, so it's, yeah, it's like the feeling, the rub of like, this isn't even your stuff and you're stealing it and it's my stuff or somebody else's stuff or whatever. But yeah. then like knowing it's going to, yeah. you know, yeah, the, the reality is going to surface. Exactly. <laughs> so I'm not, I'm not worried. And that goes back to like, you know, that hard work and really being invested in yourself. Um, and I think also all of those things give you confidence that you don't have to go out and steal people's ideas or, fake the fuck like you can stand in confidence knowing that you you've done it like you read the book you did the work you did the research you spent the time and that as I said just I think it just helps you feel more stable in whatever you want to do so what made you start to what is it performance coach yeah and yeah so what made you want to kind of go in that direction yeah um so after my second tour with Justin uh, we went on a really big hiatus. I didn't last the hiatus, unfortunately, but not unfortunately because all things happened how they should. But, um, we went into hiatus and at that point I was, I was like now like time for Dinesh, time for her music. I was working with some really great producers. There was like a light at the end of the tunnel, which would have been the beginning of a new tunnel, but it was still like the next phase and, uh, had all the time to like really focus on music. And I kind of hit a wall with that, just some deals and some that, that didn't go through. And I had to sit back and sort of rethink my direction and what I was going to do. And I got really down. I don't really like to use the word depressed because when I know people that are depressed, it wasn't, I was not experiencing what that is. So I'm not really sure, but I just was, had a really, experienced a really rough patch where, um, 
you know, I didn't really believe in myself. I was scared. I was worried. I was sad. Didn't think I was good enough. Didn't think, felt like I put in all this hard work and it was just never going to happen. Kept getting close and then nothing. Kept getting close and then nothing. And during that time, I remember saying, I'm done. I'm not performing. I'm not singing. I'm not dancing. I'm not doing shit. I'm going to sit on this couch and do nothing. And I remember praying a lot and crying a lot and started going back to church. Not that I'd left the church, but I didn't have a home church. I'm, at this point, I'm a year and a half in LA and most of that's been touring. So I still have to like get into LA. I hadn't found a church. So I'd started going back to church and just going, sitting in the pew, listening to the sermon, leaving, going, sitting in the pew, whatever. And again, doing nothing. And I remember one day coming home, feeling so down because I missed music. Like I, missed, I was like, there's this big void in my life. And I just said, okay, Lord, I don't know what it is you want me to do. Like I'm all the way out here, supposed to do music, just got off tour. Like all these big opportunities were in my face. And now it's completely silent as it happens. I don't know what I'm supposed to do. And so I agreed to loving music and wanting to still have some relationship with it. But I was like, Lord, if this is not for me, take it away, like all the way away. I'll do something else. I'll smart. I'm smart. I'll go back and finish school, like take it away. And then I felt better for just purging that. And then I said, right, I'm not going to make any calls. I'm not because I'm a hustler. I get off the tour. I'm like, Where's the next gig? Yeah, what's going on? What's going on? And I said, I'm not going to seek any gigs, but if the phone rings, I'll answer it and I'll make a decision at that point. And so the phone rang, started to ring. It was a friend of mine who wanted me to go in the studio and write a song with her. Then another day it was, oh, can you come in and arrange these vocals? Then another day it was like, oh, I have this singing student who doesn't know how to dance. Can you come teach the person how to dance? Can you give them dance lessons? Then, and I just started getting all these little, little bits and pieces. Then I got a call to do another background gig, got a call to do another background gig. And, and so I, my, I started to get back into doing stuff and just getting off the couch and crying and started using all these different skills that I just hadn't really used. Even the example of, of doing the Colby gig, I was like, in my old the way that I used to think, I was like, look, I might not be the, the perfect fit for her, I said, but um, it was through a church friend, actually, who manages mm. the MD and whatever. And I might not be a perfect fit for her, I said, but if she has, it's like Tuesday. I'm like, if she has a gig on Friday, I can get her through the gig. I said, what I can do is I can learn really fast. So if you don't love me, cool, I will help you find, and I literally said this, I will help you find another singer. But I, was, I just wasn't pressed about anything. I was like, I'll do it or not. And it worked out. But it, it was these types of things that just slowly started coming on my path. And so anyway, to make long story shorter, I started doing all these different things like vocal arrangement, vocal coaching and songwriting and just developing talent and being there for talent in other ways that wasn't really about me. And it just reinforced A, how talented I was <laughs> and B, like that I had so many gifts, but that I could do so many things. And I needed to believe in myself again, because that was the only thing that was going to get me off the couch. But I was still waiting for a big booming voice from God to be like, okay, child, arise and go to whatever. And it didn't come like that. But he spoke to me through all these different people. And so one of my friends who's a vocal coach was just seeing that I, he started calling me to work with all these, these artists and teaching him how to dance. And so 
in these sessions, I realized that I had a different level of understanding that I could give to them as a vocalist and as a dancer, someone that understood the demands that it, the demands of singing and could understand how to translate that and be physical and, you know, how to, how to, how to basically blend that, those worlds together. And what was really great with working with Colby, because as you know, she's very reserved and she stands behind the guitar. And, you know, it was really great to see her sort of open up on that tour with having me there, like being in another physical. I remember they brought in a, a movement coach. And so, you know, like bit by bit, we started having these little dance number, like these little dance, not dance solos, but I just saw her open up more. And it really, really spoke to what I could give to people, what I could share, whether it was me hands on or just being there and, and encouraging and inspiring, you know. And so eventually I'm, I, I still was, you know, I still did lots of touring and I just became someone that was like, I was the person to teach people how to move because I had, I'd been doing it. I was like, I was doing this all the time on tour. And so fast forward, I started to hone that. I was invited a couple, uh, several different opportunities to teach and kind of create, be a, like a movement coach and then be a performance coach and teach people how to connect with their bodies. And the, my process used to be getting a dance studio and teach someone how to move. And I remember not having success with that and getting frustrated that, you know, the goal was to try to make a dancer out of someone who wasn't a dancer. And eventually I just thought, right, this is not the right way to do this because not everyone's a dancer and dancing can be intimidating. And what's the goal here? And I remember working with one artist who was like, I want to be Usher. And he had two left feet and literally couldn't hear the beat. And I was like, what am I going to do? Am I just going to sit here and take this person's money? Or am I really going to try to help them? No, seriously. And I had to rethink how to help them. And so I completely unraveled the approach and was just like, let's try this a different way. And I just found so much gratitude. I, I found it so easy. that Everything that I had learned as a dancer, as a singer, as a songwriter, as a vocal arranger, as an actress, that I was able to harness and help other people. And I think that kind of goes back to this idea of like sharing myself and people opening up the doors for me and teaching me things. And I just really wanted to not see people struggle. And I knew I had an a, ability and an understanding from both sides of the field of the fence to really help singers. So that sort of was the, the beginning of becoming this performance coach and recognizing that I had all these things to offer people and sort of piling them into this formula and sharing them. And then I was simultaneously dealing with health issues, uh, stomach issues, chronic headaches, and my health became a really big issue. I had vocal ish injuries and I just started learning how to take care of myself and all the things that was important through touring. Like I remember on that Colby tour right before the Colby tour and the timing of Colby's tour was so amazing because I had done a gig where the, right before that, where the artist basically took us to Africa and uh, decided not to pay us, like not to pay us and blamed it on us. And like, it was a simple shit. I was out of, $2,500. And I was supposed to go to Jamaica for my brother's wedding. And I get this phone call and it's, Hey, can you come sing for Colby Calais? And I was just like, yes, I can. And during that tour, I remember there was one day where I was going to leave the tour, fly back to LA, hunt this artist down and kill them. <laughs> like I really was just, I would no girl, it was bad. And 
I was just on tour, like depressed and crying. And like, you know, I remember speaking to my pastor, he got me through it. But again, here's a situation where you're just on tour, you still have to pull up, go on stage and all that mental drama and just learning how to cope with dealing with life stuff and still having to get on stage and perform. And so all of these experiences kind of came into what I now do, which is holistic performance. And it's the idea that there are, take your skill, your actual skill out of it, whatever that is, whether you're a singer, dancer, musician, instrumentalist, um, artist, what are all the things surrounding that make up the ability for you to do what you, what you do? Like, what is the mental side of it? What are you eating? All these things support how well we can do what we do. And I just thought we need to address this, you know, getting these artists or these in front of me and going, okay, we're going to teach you how to dance. But child, you got trauma from something that happened to you when you were six and you are terrified. And this is why you don't dance. This is why you clam up. Or as a vocal coach, again, coming into the studio, hey, how's your day? (gasps) Emotional vomit for 15 minutes. I'm like, okay, cool learning how to hold space for these people so we can get to the work. All these mental blocks that are just in the way. I'm having trouble with this and this. Okay, well, you're eating like crap. You're not getting sleep. You're smoking. You're doing all these things. And so taking a bird's eye view, a big picture view, and just really pinpointing the areas where people are struggling. And sometimes it's a very simple fix. Simple in the fact that we can identify and go, okay, that's your problem. But if it's a habit, if it's confidence, if it's self-worth and self-love, child, you like you have to address those things. And so even just making space for these artists, acknowledging this thing, I see you, I hear you. I am not a mental health professional, but I have access to many. And I am learning more about skills, developing skills to facilitate enough so that we can get the work done has made such a big difference. And so it's another way that my practice has evolved. And I'm so happy to be doing this work because a lot of people catastrophize their, their actual gift. I'm not a great singer. I sound like shit, blah, blah, blah. And it has nothing to do with their voice. <laughs> and, you know, some people are so afraid to move and just don't feel comfortable. And so I just want to create a safe space for people to get to the heart of it and say, I see you. And because I've just done all these things and I have had a very blessed life, a colorful life, um, I'm able to just meet people where they are, even if it's just having a conversation nine times out of 10, most of the people that I, that I, that I work with, I'm like, yep, I've been there <laughs> and we can just talk about it, you know? And so it's been really rewarding. I'm developing it because I really want to, I think this era of acknowledging mental health awareness is so great. I've been like, so on board, you know, this, you're doing the same thing. And it is so needed in the arts and what, what we do. So I just want to be another person to facilitate that work. Yeah, I love all that you said and all that you're doing, because, yeah, I mean, a lot of it was even similar but different to me creating the original incarnation of the to- like to- joyologist position I had I was going on tour with artists and the same th- thing, like same, but again, different. Like those are people that were already established, but like to like, let me like, let's have a real conversation right now. Like 
the artists and not because so many people are walking around on tiptoes and not actually being real with them. And then also like touring is miserable. It's amazing, but also miserable. The food is terrible. Like, how are you taking care of yourself? Mm-hmm. What are you eating? What are you believing? What are you surrounding yourself with? And stuff like that. So different. No, but exactly the same. In many ways, but like this same that we both sort of saw and like, yeah, you're seeing, oh, this person's having struggle and like, yeah, it's a self-worth issue. And like having all the fame in the world actually doesn't help that. You actually, you're like, you need to, you're, you got to work on that. Like, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So wow. I love that. Um, you are seeing that and wanting that and putting that work into the world. Cause yeah, I for sure know it is so, so, so necessary. And I know. And the thing is, is like, I had a client who was actually seeing a, a psychotherapist or a psych- someone like getting men- getting help with um, their issues, but it was very separate. And it was like, let me come to class or come to the lesson and be this thing. And like, it just was so disconnected. It was like, you have your therapist. And again, I'm not trying to replace your therapist, but I also encourage like, can you take this into your sessions? Because I can only facilitate and, and, and just, you know, like hold space for you. but you need to be in there doing that work. Like that will help you get to where we need to go because you're going to expect miracles from me and I won't be able to provide them. But I can tell you that this is where if you can get up, if you can have success, if you can tackle these things or start to do some work. And a lot of people just are actually, they're not making that connection. They're just not making it. And so this is why I want the world to be connected. You know, people are like, oh, I've got my therapist or my counselor and da, da, da. And they're not correlating it to it affecting, you know, it's like, oh, I have a drinking problem. But it's like, if you can see how that is affecting your work and, you know, just making the, the, the connection, then it's much more productive. And as I said, I don't personally, I'm not a mental health professional because you see what's happening in this industry, girl. You see these people are, taking their lives and dipping and diving into drugs and alcohol and abusive relationships and, you know, out of fear and just, and we've got to break all of that open, you know, and, and, and talk about it and make space for it. So it gets heavy. I mean, I look, I don't kind of like you in the, in the calling bullshit. I, I keep it 100 and I put that out as a disclaimer. Like if you're not ready for truth, I might not be the person for you, but I kind of take a big sister approach. Everything I do is in love and in support. And, you know, I'm not like, I don't shake my finger because I'm human. And I I really try to empathize um, and be there, but I really, really enjoying it. And honestly, the most amazing thing is what my students and clients tell me. Um, They send me messages all the time and literally brings tears tears to my eyes to have been able to have a very small part in a change or shift for them. It's, it is all, it is worth every, every, every part of it. And I wish we had someone like you, like on tour with, like, I know you, you work with the artists, but like, you know, you get good people on tour with you and you get people that are just naturally, but all the crap that even to this day I have to deal with, I have to fight for my sanity. I have to fight for my safety, my health. You know, even times, even when I moved from America or not moved, but I was still living in LA, but working in London, even like now that we've been talking about what's been happening to not only black communities and black people 
in America, but all over the world. My experience coming from Los Angeles to London, I it was interesting. And it wasn't like overt like racism or anything like that, but it was like just really being marginalized and really like, oh, like you're different and like just being made to feel like my concerns were not important that I was just being this or being that. And I had to retreat. I had to do a lot to try to maintain my sanity, sometimes bite my tongue, sometimes literally just crying because I felt so alone and unseen and people literally making you feel like you're crazy. And I had to do so much work. I still have to do it, you know, but, um, it would have been, <laughs> you know, to have a safe space. And I think what you do and what you did was so amazing. You know, like your sole purpose is there. We did have someone like that on tour and that wasn't her job, but she just was that person anyway, because that's her spirit. Yeah. But you have to fight for that, that joy and that peace and that sanity. And I mean, it only took five, six years to turn a great number of the tour vegan. <laughs> and of course they had their own <laughs> reasons, but oh my God, did I make myself more of an outcast in 2013 when I decided to go vegan? Like, oh, I was the devil. But now it's a lot better so I can eat healthier on tour. I was the weirdo with the suitcase with all the, the beans and the lagoons and bringing my own Nutribullet on the road. Like all of those things that I had to do just to create safety for myself on the road. So I really commend what you do or what you did, what you do, how you're like evolving it as well. I think it's it's really great. Thank you. And that, yeah, I mean, a lot of it came from being like, wow, I'm touring with these people that everybody looks up to and thinks that they have it all because they're singing their songs to thousands of people every night around the world. And they even have like loved ones that seem amazing and supportive and they can buy everything and whatever. And that, yeah, they're still feeling like they're unworthy, unfulfilled, unhappy. You see mm -hmm. the doubts, the fears and that, and that it's so like that that is the the reason it's called, the podcast is called Claim It. It's that, yeah, like it's up to us every day to claim our joy, to claim our worth. And there's going to be real things in life that are trying to steal it from us every day. And there's also our minds that are really working hard against us. And so like the catching it of like claiming it every single day. Mm -hmm. that, yeah. Obviously, I have no experience of what it's like to have to have dark skin, black skin and living in the world and traveling around the world. I can't. Yeah, I have no idea of what oh, that is then feeling like <laughs> of like. And also, yeah, you're like even back then, like, oh, well, we already know that you're only have one spot with somebody that is this dark of skin. So like you were literally like. Not no overtness even in that. Like no, we already exactly. have our one dark person. <laughs> our one. Oh, we were, we're taking someone's shade. We're now looking for one a shade 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 later later. Yeah, and like to like so real. be faced with that real. Like we are saying this out loud. Yeah, you know what? It's interesting because I never. I mean, I was really curious. Like when I went to certain countries and was like, "Look, it's black people. We got brown people. Like, Ooh, okay, we're not alone. Okay, we." We're oh, standing. like you're getting excited when you see yeah, getting real hype. <laughs> but what was interesting is I would have these experiences and then I would tell my colleagues who are white Englishmen, um, but no, oh no, they just, 
oh, no, you're exaggerating. No. And I was like, okay, you know, and of course I know I'm not crazy and whatever. I would let it roll off my shoulder because I'm just, I'm evolved. I'm not like, but I would have these real experiences. And the, the problem with that was not feeling safe in my own group and still feeling like feeling alienated and feeling, you know, and so this constant, you know, whether it's about the color of your skin or whatever you're doing, when you're just different and you have to like, you know, you have a, you're in a group of people that are doing the majority. You really have to fight for your health and your sanity. You have to, as you said, claim it. You, you have to claim it. And it's not really until I'd say the last year and a half where I've dealt with some emotional trauma in my personal life that like choosing happiness, like I'm just actually almost finished this psychology course that I'm taking which is uh, called the science of happiness. And so, you know, it's like you can choose your happiness and you have to actually work at it. Um, and some more than others, we're all wired differently. And because, some days more than others. And some days more than others. But, you know, it really falls right in line with that idea of claim it and claim whatever it is you want, whether it's a thing in your life, whether it's a goal, whether it's just happiness, whatever you want, you actually have to claim it. Do you have any tips for, I guess for everyone, it's very different, but do you have any tips that you're like, these are some things that you do or that you've had to do or that have worked for you in terms of claiming it? Because it's one thing to just like say it and, you know, you have to believe it. And how do you, how do you believe it? How do you get yourself to like, believe it enough that you can shift how you feel? Me, Trisha here again. Did you know that I have a daily inspiration app? An app for your phone. It's available in both the Google Play and the Apple App Stores. It's called Own Your Awesome. You can come to this app at any time. It's like a virtual card deck. Pull a card. I just pulled one. It says, I am keeping my heart open, allowing more love, grace, and compassion to flow through me and from me. You can swipe to pick a new card. You can hit the show me a card button. Oh, this one I got is not everything works on the first try. That doesn't mean that it won't work ever. Keep going. So hundreds of affirmations and powerful thoughts covering all sorts of things. Come to it at any time. You can also set an alert in the app so that every day at the same time, you'll get an alert to remind you to go pull a card because we forget. We forget to do the things that bring us joy, right? We forget to go pick a card, even if it like really resonates with us and it's something we love. So you can set a reminder. There's a journal inside the app. You can easily share. You can hit a heart to favorite them and like it'll keep a list of your favorites. Go get it. And you can also gift it. It's only $3.99, one-time purchase, no advertisements, and I add new cards all the time. So worth it. Well, okay, so a couple things. I was going to name two big ones. I was about to ask you the wrap-up questions. Mm -hmm. So one thing is, first of all, the noticing is, like a lot, like the noticing where you are seeking, like oh, if I just do this, whether it's like, I didn't get enough done today, I don't feel like I'm enough, to like, once I get, you know, this, the book deal, then I'll feel this. Or like, oh, if I just, you know, had the person to notice, you know, what it is you're feeling and just that noticing and sort of like asking myself, okay, so I feel like then that would make me enough. Like then to allow yourself to imagine, so what would that feel like? 
So if I had gotten everything done today, or if I have the book deal or whatever it is that I'm attaching this, if I just lose the five pounds, whatever it is, you know, I'm just sticking with the enough because I think that that comes up a lot for many of us. Of the yeah. of us. So like, what would that actually feel like to actually even think about this thing that you're chasing, this feeling? Can you imagine like what that would actually feel like? Wow, I love that. And like in that imagining, then you can be like, what if I just chose to feel that try now. to feel that yeah. right now? Because a lot of times like I said, we're just like seeking, oh, if I do this, then I'll be happy. Then I'll be that, whatever. Like, so like, what does that even fucking look like? Right. <laughs> nobody pauses to think of, nobody pauses to think, nobody, like me, I'm calling, you know, again, when I call bullshit, it's me calling myself out as yeah, well. Of course, so it's like, of course. you know, we're just like on this hamster wheel, chasing, chasing, chasing. Okay. So if I want to claim it, so how do I do that? Well, what would that even feel like? Mm. You know, like, okay. Like that would feel like, yeah, I did it. I did it. All right. Like, and then you just even start to like notice it. And then you do start to emulate it. But I also just the naming, when you just name even, what am I feeling right now? What am I feeling? I'm feeling like I'm not enough. I feel like I'm a failure. I feel mm-hmm. like I'm lazy. Like just naming even the what you're feeling. And then, like I said, you can then ask yourself, well, what do I want to feel? I mm-hmm. want to feel like I'm valued or like I want to feel valued. I want I'm seeking validation, whatever it is, like the naming it. And then like you coming in for yourself. Yeah. Wow. And doing it. I love that you are arti- like the way that you sort of articulated that. I think that naming it, I've fallen into for sure. Cause I don't think, cause yeah, coming out of that, what am I feeling and feeling like this, but still having the thing, but I really want this and naming it has been something that I think I've, I've fallen into, but I really, really love that idea of, I guess it goes into that present being present and savoring and like being like, what would it feel like if I actually did that, you know, and have that moment of joy that that experience that's really beautiful yeah like give myself a glimpse of that right now then yeah okay yeah i love that another big thing is um i think what like can hold us back from whether it's claiming you know claiming this feeling we want or whatever is uh the fear of being judged the fear of what other people will think of us and that can make us be in the like the seeking of this i got to do this because then it will look like then it'll you know then people will think this of me like that a lot of things are motivated what by what will people think of me yeah and so a big aha for me was to seeing that a judgment cannot have power over me unless it's something I believe to be true. Mm. So if I'm afraid of people thinking these things, that's actually me in my head right now thinking them. But also when someone does tell you, oh, you're not enough, you're never going to be a singer, just stick with your lane, Dinosh, whatever it is. Yeah. Like, so people really will say judgments to you, but a lot of us is holding ourselves back, the fear of being judged and what people yeah. think. And so you get to tap into that. Is this what I believe? Whether it's in your mind or someone has said it to you. And it might still hurt that someone's telling you, you're never yeah. going to make it as that. But what do I believe? Exactly. So you always get to ask yourself, again, catching yourself in the judgment. What will people think of me if I say this, if I do this? And then, well, what do I believe? Mm-hmm. So well, what do I believe? Again, this is where, you know, I say I'm, I work very hard to believe in myself every day. So it's catching these sorts of thoughts. Oh, this is me telling myself I'm not enough because of this. This is me judging myself. This is the fear of what people will think if I do this, see this, be this. So what do you think, Trisha? Oh, my God. I love you so much. I really <laughs> I love you. I love your brain. I love everything you're saying. To me. Honestly, it's like I like I'm literally receiving this from you right now. I am receiving this because, again, I practice this every day and it's become more of a practice for me every day. And I love that, like, you're back in my life, you know, and in the way that, like, I have another person who is practicing this, speaking this, it's just going to reaffirm 
what I need to know. And yeah, I'm really, really receiving it. Thank you so much for sharing that. You're welcome. You're so welcome. Thank you for that acknowledgement. But, and yeah, and like in both of those practices, like, again, it's still like, it might not be like a magical, you think it, but there's so much weight shed off in the, that it's coming back to yourself. Absolutely. This is me seeking this, but it's me telling myself I'm not enough. So what can I feel enough right now? How can I do that? This is me judging myself. What do I believe? So you really like, it allows you to shed so much weight because you're bringing it back to the reality of yourself and what you are telling yourself and what you believe. Yeah. All right. <laughs> like so a sermon. Thank you very much. No. <laughs> <laughs> I love you. I love talking to you. I'm going to ask you, uh, okay, what is a go-to you do to raise your joy levels? I just do stuff that I like. So I like food, (laughs) but I am grateful that I've, I've chosen healthy sort of clean eating. So usually my go-tos aren't like really horrible, fatty, sugary, sweet. I really discovered the joy of cooking and like making stuff. So I just try to do shit that makes me do stuff that makes me happy. I actually like doing yoga. Would never would have thought like, girl, when I met you, like I'd have been like, no, no, I'm not a yogi. Just not. But I love it. I absolutely love it right now. And it brings me, I'm a, I'm a giver and I'm a sharer and I give out so much. So anything that returns me to myself where I get a little bit of solitude, I, I, I like to do. And that just, it really just makes me happy. Yeah, I get And I, or I, or I call a, or the other one really quick one is I just call a friend that like makes me laugh. Yeah. That's how I raise my joy level. <laughs> I've got two like default, pe- three default people that I'm like, if I just need, like before we even say anything, there's laughter. You got to keep some good people around you. Love that. Okay, so yeah. these are all phrases that go on my keychains for my product line. And I have everybody oh, pick dope. not even necessarily which phrase they like the most, but which one they feel like they would want as a reminder in their life right now the most and why. Oh, my God, girl. You just like make one long sentence. Um, <laughs> um, <laughs> I trust the timing of my life. Yeah. Why is that one speaking to you? Because I'm like a really ambitious person. I have all these dreams and (laughs) goals and certain things that I wanted have been, you know, put on hold. You know, I thought certain things I would have realized already by now. So it's just more about being at a certain age, wanting certain things and going or having started down certain paths and then going, oh, okay, I'm going to take a break from that or being taken off that path for whatever reason. And so you know, I'm still living and breathing. I'm still young ish. <laughs> uh, and I think that as long as you're living and breathing, you, things can still happen. Like there's no, you know, society in the world tells us we get, we're on this time schedule to, to do things and to achieve things and being an ambitious person, uh, independent person, like that's, that's my soundtrack. And that's my soundtrack all the time. And it's not really healthy. It's not been healthy for me. And I think it makes leads, it leads me to doubt myself to maybe make short-sighted decisions, trying to catch up or trying to be on a schedule. So I really need to trust the timing of my life and know that everything happened the way it's supposed to happen. Everything happens for a reason. And as long as you're still living and breathing, there is time. 
And I tend to, I put so much pressure on myself. Girl, when this whole lockdown thing went, I signed up for three courses, three, not one, three, committed to like a hundred days workout challenge, signed up for all this other, like, what am I doing? What am I doing? And then was like, oh my God, I'm so busy. And like, who's busy during this time? Like, why are you busy? <laughs> you are unemployed. You have no one to answer to and nowhere to go. Girl, sit your ass down and take a nap. And so that is my yeah. go-to. I just do the most. I put pressure on myself. I create deadlines. And I'm just super ambitious. So trusting the timing of my life is like, literally sounds like a someone, feels like someone's pulling my shoulders back and sitting me down. Yeah. And putting a blanket over me, putting my feet up and putting a coffee in my hand. <laughs> That's what it feels like. I love it. Good. Sit your eyes down. <laughs> this might lead into, so I ask everybody to apply this phrase to their own life. What is easiest for you is not always what is best for you. And so applying that to your own life, like what is easiest for me is to, it could be what you were even just talking about is to like, go, 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 do, do, do. Yeah. What is best for me. So what is easiest for me is blank. What is best for me is blank. Yeah. What is easiest for me is, is to move and shake and hustle mm-hmm. and, and run and like, sparkle and shine and be like and be like to and do organize create schedule what is best for me is to sit my behind down is to spend more introverted time i got like i said i my health became an issue i never understood when people like oh my doctors are like oh you're stressed out i didn't realize how stress was really destroying my body destroying my uh gut health my immune system causing all these other problems physically for me until about five years ago, I really saw the correlation. And I just equate, I equate being good and important and relevant and successful with being busy, Mm. Um, moving fast, being busy. And I normalized that. And I've learned how to do it. Like I know how to fly across three continents and still get on stage and perform. I know how to perform when you feel like you just want to die and, or, and, and you need a morphine drip. Like when I've been so sick, I know how to function under high pressure. And I've literally, my body knows how to function under high pressure, but everything has a breaking point. So I have learned that the best thing for me to do is to not push myself and to really go, Josh, what do you need? Like, what do you need? Ask myself, what do you need? Not, what do you think? people want what you know what do other people need from you what do you actually need and it's a very it looks very different it looks very different it's i want my chihuahua and i want a cup of tea and i want fuzzy slippers and i want to watch looney tunes cartoons that's what i want to do so taking time slowing down pausing going inward so that i can be and, and more balanced that's what i need that's what's best for me Awesome. I love that. Um, Before I ask you the last question, I feel like I want to circle back to, especially because of the climate right now and that so many non-Black people waking up to the real racial injustice and like wanting to learn more. When -hmm. you mentioned bringing, you know, coming to your white English man Englishman touring mates and that they sort of like blew you off. Like what another friend has told me is like, if someone of 
any color comes to you and is like sharing like an experience you had, don't question it. Right. Like don't. So like what have made you feel more safe around them? Just the fact that that when you said that they were just like, oh, that sucked or like, you know, like I'm just I'm I wanted to bring this back for just like I'm sure there are. Yeah, of course. Non-black people working out there and that, that is it's like, you know, and I think that if we have been in a, that's part of our white privilege and being like acknowledging that racism exists, even though we know it. But when that's there, then it's that like the freezing of not knowing what to say. And it's just like to actually be there and to hear you. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, just to say to look at me and go, wow, that's horrible. I'm sorry that you had to experience that. and. None of them mean or don't mean like they all mean well, you know? Right. So that's what I was saying. That's why I wanted to circle back. And like yeah. they probably didn't realize that they had created more harm for you and how they responded. But here's where it goes deeper is yeah. that when I'm like, no, this is what this is, you know, they're not willing to sit and listen to a mini history lesson or get to know the person who is speaking about what I'm speaking about. And you don't need to know my history, but you're my friend, you're my colleague. So lend me your ear for five minutes, even though it's not my job to explain to you, but let me break it down as to why I feel this way or why this actually could be. And so now we have already gone too far because you just could have accepted my word as it is. Now they don't feel like behave that way. So it's like, how could anyone do that? But you're simply negating what I have to say. And then again, I feel crazy. I feel like, well, I can't share this with you. And this happened when I first started touring with these guys. And then last December, a situation happened where I was in Berlin and we were, we left the TV studio to go get McDonald's. Lord forgive me. I just had fries, but <laughs> nothing to eat. <laughs> nothing to eat. I was dying. I had two large fries actually. We came back to the studio and it was me and my white uh, uh, colleagues. And we both had our hands full of McDonald's and the security guard, get, he, he gets ready to open the door. And so my colleague, he's like, he's, just, he's like my little brother. He plays too much, always like a prankster. So he's rushing up to try to get in front of me. And I'm like, if you don't back up, like be a gentleman and let me get through the door first. He's like, oh, I'm just playing. He backs up. And the, the security guard opens the door and I'm thinking, oh, thank you. You're sweet. Because you see, we're, we got drinks and McDonald's bags in our hands. And as I'm getting ready to walk through the door, he throws his hand in my chest and stops me. So I'm like, whoa, what's going on? And he's like, I need to see your pass. And I was just like, okay, but first of all, I'm going to need you to never put your hands on me. Like, that is not how you do your job. I didn't attack you. Don't ever put your hands on me. So let's get that straight. Second of all, and so then my friend's like, he's back, back there like, what's going on? What's going on? So he obviously sees what's going on uh, or that something's happened because he's standing behind me. And I'm basically scolding this man, telling him what he needs. To, if, if he wants to see my, my laminate or whatever, he just simply needs to ask for it. And he's like, well, I don't know who you are. And I'm like, okay, that's fine. You got a lot of people coming. I said, but don't put your hands on me ever. So... I go to take my laminate out of my, and it's, I can feel the lanyard, but the actual card is in my jacket. I didn't realize it. I thought it was hanging outside of my jacket. So I'm like, why are you stopping me when you could see my laminate? So I go to pull it up so he can look at it and not realizing it's stuck in my jacket. 
So I go to pull it up and I kind of like flick it up because it's stuck on a button and it comes out of my jacket. So I'm like, okay, look, see, see something hanging there. There's no pictures on these, by the way. It's just a lanyard with a name and like the color code for the day. You know how you get those day passes if we're in a venue for a couple of days. Yeah. So it's, yeah, for people listening, like, yeah, it's a, a pass that's, it's for security, for people that know, like, who's allowed in the venue before whatever, not just a fan or whatever, somebody off the streets. So it's not tour, so you're not going to see my name or my, my face or anything like that. Like, I have anybody's la- laminate. And so he pulls it. And so I pull it up to show it to him, thinking, okay, look, here, see, let me go. I go to walk forward. This man snatches my laminate and yanks me back and chokes me and pulls me out of the building. Girl, the only reason I didn't act a fool, I'll tell you a couple of reasons why. A, I didn't want the McDonald's to go. But B, I'm like, okay, I have two choices. I'm going to act a friggin' fool. And then I'm going to play into the stereotype that this asshole already believes about black people and that we're angry and whatever, even though I've been provoked, even though you just choked me with my laminate. So at this point, I pull it back from him. Now I'm full mortal combat verbally. But I, I go, I like what I call Claire Huxtable him. I was like, let me tell you something. And I just basically told him like in so many words, like that is not how you do your job. Do never, like, don't ever put your hands on me. I'm going to get, I was like, I basically like whoever the authorities were, my friend stepped in front of me and like let him have it. And I am doing everything. Now everyone inside is looking and I'm fuming, whatever. We ended altercation. I said, if you want to see my laminate, that's not how you go about it. I said, look, see here. Okay. I said, goodbye. So I handled it very well. My friend was like, I would have killed him. I said, you could do that though. I can't. I said, you could act a fool. So, but he did stand up for me, which is what we need our white brothers and sisters to do. He did stand up for me and I didn't expect him because this is someone who has in the past been like, no, no, he literally saw that with his own eyes and stood up for me. And so I went upstairs and I didn't say nothing. And he handled the whole thing. He called like every manager, the head of the label, everybody was in my face apologizing. And the head of security for the venue was like, that's not how we do things here. And da, 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 da. And she tries them all. Oh, well, you know, it's just because, you know, we have different laminates from day to day. I said, no, it's not. It's because I'm black. And I don't care if that's not how you feel. That's how he feels. What I need you to not do is diminish my experience right now. Sorry, girl, I'm all heated. But I'm, I'm actually reenacting. I'm not mad now. I'm reenacting just how I was at that point. And this is the, the very example is that people, they don't want to believe it. They don't. But that's exactly what that was. And it was, again, like finally one of my colleagues actually recognizing it. Now, when the story became sort of public amongst everyone in the group, nobody was tripping. Everyone was like, oh my gosh, that's horrible. Can I get that burger? And they don't understand that this is something that I constantly deal with. I was saying my friends, look, I wake up black. I brush my teeth black. I go out the house black. I buy my coffee black. Like every, I don't take this skin off ever. I have days where I don't have to be an activist, but every day I'm actually in me being a black person is literally being active, being an activist every day because I am constantly confronting with it, confronted with people's aversion to me or experience with me. And it's that thing where you have to choose to be you know, do I speak up? Am I, do I, am I vocal? How do I handle this situation? 
if I do this, they're going to think I'm this. Like for me, I always say angry black girl. And I'm like, mm-hmm. yes, I put, I left her at home. She's not on tour. I said, but she's a phone call away. If, if you force me, she's a phone call away. And even to have to have that conversation with myself, it's horrible because I can't just be someone who's wronged. It means I have to represent my entire race. And it is frustrating. It is so frustrating. So for people who don't, you know, if I guess I'll just say this and people have said, and it's going around online. If someone tells you what they're going through, if they're your friend, like listen, acknowledge and believe them. You don't have to do any more than that. If more people would do that, then people would actually be more compelled to be compassionate and empathic and like speak out. But it's like the fact that you're like, oh no, it doesn't happen to my friends or no, Dinesh, you're different because you're on tour with Robbie Williams. You travel the world. You speak well, you dress well. You're not like the others or you don't have, they don't want to believe that we have those experiences and you don't have to believe it until I tell you you do. Like you don't have to have that personal experience. You just have to acknowledge it. Sorry for being long-winded, but. (laughs) No, and that's why I was all like, yeah, I'm like, is it okay that I'm bringing this up? But yeah, I felt like since you mentioned that thing and then I like sort of ignore, I was like, oh, wait, I kind of feel shitty that like we, you like touched on it and then we didn't. That's what, not what we were speaking about. So it's totally fine. But again, that was just to speak to the fact that like, it is something that does alienate you and you have to like, we were in Russia. Sorry, really quick story. We were in Russia and I was definitely with me and another one of my colleagues who's a black gay man. And he, he emailed the tour manager and was like, yeah, so they don't like me here at all my color or my sexual orientation. So I'm going to be locked up in the room until we have to come out. <laughs> Basically, he was just taking the piss. He's like, I'm going to need a suite because I'm not leaving the hotel. And they and he actually upgraded him. And he had this <laughs> palatial suite for the whole time. But we went out. I was like, no, Craig, we got to leave the room. We got to leave. And so I rallied all, well, those three uh, horn players. They're white. And I was like, we need security. We want to go see the city. So the five of us were arm in arm walking through Red Square. <laughs> and the dare, oh, there's this woman crossing the, the, the bridge. She's clutching her purse, given, I don't know if she hated my colleagues, my white colleagues more, or us. Right. I don't know if she hated the race traders or hated us, but she gave us the dirtiest look. Uh. And it wasn't an actual horrible trip. And I'm glad my friend came out the room, but. I remember we took pictures as we're both dancers or former dancers. We took pictures of in ballet poses in front of the Bolshoi and people, first we were standing there and people were like staring at us. And the minute we went into like attitudes and arabesques, they were like, Oh, Oh, they're dancers. Like we couldn't, you know what I mean? It's all that type of stuff. Like, Oh, suddenly we can see they have worth because of look at these poses that they're doing. Right. Like, okay, I guess, I guess. But it's this kind of thing where you go to these places, excuse me, and you have these experiences and people just don't understand that. They don't know what it's like to go somewhere and be like, I don't know if I'm safe here. I don't know how people are going to react to me. I might need you, your support. (laughs) No, you'll be fine. No, I actually won't. And one of my colleagues on a previous tour in Moscow uh, was assaulted being out by himself. And so we just need, we just need acknowledgement, you know? We need our friends, our friends to acknowledge us. Thank you for sharing your experiences and that. My pleasure. 
I know you about it, girl. <laughs> I know, but I mean, it's and I know, but it's like not just saying, yeah, it's like a daily thing. And like, yeah, there's it's so much. Yeah, you can say, oh, I'm learning. I'm only, but it's like, yeah, fully consistently showing up when you see people out. If you see somebody, yeah, like if I see somebody that I can tell is being put in a position that, yeah, just listen, there's so much work to do and there's so much activism happening right now. And I just, it has to keep going because I know it's like, it's so, we're so far gone. It's not like just like, poof, everything's going to be perfect again. And you're never going to have to worry when you go anywhere, Dinesh. I know that it's not going to be like that. It's a long way to go, but we have to keep showing up and yeah, when you said, as you said, we need our allies, we need our, our friends. And the thing is, is you don't have to understand the story of a black person, but if you love your friend, like that should be enough. Like, I don't care what color you are or whatever. If my friend telling me they've had a horrible experience, I'm in. I'm like, who we got to take down? Like, I want to know yeah. why this is horrible for you. And ask that question. Like, you know, but people are very afraid of it. I can imagine and I can speculate with some, and people have told me, but um, I think if you just really love your friends and you care, it's just the, it's the best place to start and remove the ego and just start from that point. Yeah. I mean, if you love your friends, if you love people in general, it's like even if you don't know someone in person, like how the knowing that like, yeah, it's just even thinking of like if your own kids were treated mm-hmm. that way or just because of they had darker skin and how they would show up to people in the world because of that. Like mm-hmm. we have to do everything we can to, yeah. to shift yeah. that. Okay. The last question. Sorry, yes. <laughs> <laughs> no, don't be sorry. I took us on that, that um, journey. Uh, the name of the podcast is Claim It. We already mm-hmm. talked about why. Mm-hmm. The final last question I ask everybody is, what are you claiming for yourself right now? Ooh, a couple of things. One, like true happiness. I think I've, in the last couple of months of just doing some deep diving and trying to rid myself of, of sadness and pain, really trying to find joy in, in everything, like not just wait for the big thing to happen, but like experience the joy now, like counting, counting your blessings. Um, I really, really am claiming that I I don't want to wait to be happy. I want to be happy now. And I, I can be so, I'm claiming yes. that I'm claiming success for my new business is it's kind of a new endeavor and I'm, I'm a perfectionist. So I'm like, wait, it's not ready yet. It's not ready yet. But I'm claiming that it is successful and that it, it is really impactful in a positive way in people's lives. And I am claiming motherhood because I want to be a mother. So well, the journey has been a part of my life for a couple of years and haven't been successful yet. But I am claiming success and motherhood, however it may come. Those, I think, are the three things that I'm claiming. Oh, I love them all. Am I allowed to have three? Yeah, go for okay. it. Go for it. Okay, yeah. Those are my three <laughs> nope, things. That- you're going to have to take two of those back. <laughs> no, <I'm just> <laughs> those, are, those, are, those are the three. Those are my three claims. Yeah. Awesome. I love you. I love Thank you, you so much Trisha. for everything that you've shared and all that you are and how you show up in the world. Thank you for making space for me. I'm glad that I'm someone that whose story intrigues you and has inspired you. And um, it's just nice to talk to. And yeah. it's nice to talk to you because you've just always been like a cool girl and just very enlightened. And, you know, I'm late to the game, but I'm glad that I'm in, I'm getting into your, your sphere and onto your level now. And 
it's a great place to be. So thank you again for having me and facilitating this. And I wish you, I can't wait for this book, girl. I'm claiming your book for you. I'm adding a fourth one. I'm claiming this book for you. (laughs) (laughs) Seriously, I'm excited. Thank you. It's a freaking journey, but I'm on it. It's happening. (laughs) I'm trusting the timing. Yes, 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 yes. I love it. I hope you enjoyed that full conversation with Dinesh. Seriously, I was inspired by her 10 years ago when I met her and feeling it even more strongly today. For full show notes, go to yourdrowlogist.com slash podcast and you'll find each guest name in the notes there with links out. To find Dinesh, she is at Dinesh Bennett on Instagram. And I'll see if she sends me over links for a website. And those will be in the notes as well if you wanted to look into her coaching. But yeah, you can find her on IG and message her if you were interested in that. Of course, you can find me at yourdrialgist.com and at yourdrialgist. I really, really love hearing from you. I love having these conversations. It feels so good to have these conversations, but I also love knowing uh, that you're listening, sharing the episodes, letting me know what your favorite parts were, what resonated with you. So feel free to comment, share, message me anytime. And I would really, really, really appreciate if you subscribe to the podcast and leave a review there. If you do so, screenshot the review and send it to me at podcast at yourjoyologist.com. And I'll send you a little gift for my product line. Just like I have every guest pull a keychain. I have mugs. I have journals. I have notepads. I have wine glasses. I have my own Your Awesome Affirmation deck. Tons of products to empower and inspire you and remind you to own who you are. All right. uh, The final thought for this episode, I'm going to do something different this time. I'm going to say some affirmations. I'm going to say them as you are this. And then I want you to repeat it back to yourself in the I. So you are worthy. You say, I am worthy. All right. Get it? You are worthy. You are enough right now as you are. You are resilient. You are loved. You are seen. You are held. All right, I really hope you guys repeated those back to yourselves using I am and then what I was saying. If you didn't, hit the little rewind. If you did, maybe hit the little rewind too. Do it again. Feel those words. Feel yourself receiving it from me and you also claiming it for yourself. All right, thanks again for listening. Please share episode and feel free to reach out. I'm at your joyologist.